is I'm going I'm to take something for granted that God has given you an assignment in life. That I believe every single one of us that are born again through faith in Jesus Christ, we have an assignment on our life. The reason why I know your assignment's not completed yet is because you're still here. And if you're still here, that means God still has work to do in you, for you, and through you into your generation. And so if you are living out that assignment, then you're going to experience opposition, and that opposition can come in a hundred different directions on your life on any given day. And this is my, I'm just becoming more and more convinced of this the older I get. The people that bring God glory with their life and finish well, they have one predominant characteristic, they endure. They never quit. They keep moving in a long obedience in the same direction, and they keep waiting on the Lord and trusting him. So we can sum all that up with these two very simple words, stand firm. So I'm going to read to you this evening some very motivational verses out of the book of Nehemiah in chapter number six. You can follow along in your Bible or up on the screen. Nehemiah 6.1, now when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I, Nehemiah, had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set up the doors and the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent to me, saying, Come and let us meet together at, big word, in the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm. And I sent messengers to them, saying, I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And they sent to me four times in this way, and I answered them in the same manner. In the same way, Sanballat, for the fifth time, sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. And in it was written, it is reported among the nations, and Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you are building the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. And you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem, there is a king in Judah. And now the king will hear of these reports. So now come and let us take counsel together. Then I sent to him saying, no such things as you have said, uh, as you say, have been done. For you are inventing them out of your own mind. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. But now, O God, strengthen my hands. Now, when I went into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deleah, son of Mehetabel, who was confined to his home, he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you by night. But I said, should such a man as I run away? And what man as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. And I understood and saw that God had not sent him, but he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. For this purpose he was hired, that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin, and so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. Remember Tobiah and Sanballat, O my God, according to these things that they did, and also the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. Now, that's 16 long verses out of Gene Young's Bible that this evening, I believe, have a direct bearing on my life, your life, and the congregational life of this church. 
We are stepping in to a work that God has giving us, is giving us. It is unique to this time in this region. This is not a normal church. This is not a normal season in the history of a church. This is something that God has placed before us as his children to steward that in days that I believe are leading right up to the edge of the very end of the age. And beyond the fact that this is happening in our church, I believe in a microcosm that your life also has a calling on it that there's a strategic purpose that God has for you. I can't fulfill your purpose. You can't fulfill mine. God is so creative and vast and immeasurable that he's big enough to have a glorious plan for every single life in here, a way that you can bring him glory, a way that you can honor him, and a way that you can advance the kingdom. And because of this confidence that I have in my heart that God has a plan for you, a plan for me, and a plan for us together, we need to be ready for what comes against We need to know that we can stand firm. We need to know that we can walk out this plan that God has for us and literally every single demon in alliance together with Satan marshalling his hellish troops coming against us cannot prevail if we will remain in the will of God and stand firm in the face of conflict and opposition. So tonight, I make no apologies for being bold with us. I hope that if you are already walking in a, in a lit fire heart, that this will be fuel on that lighted fire and that you will leave in greater sense of power and urgency about God's call in your life. So let's get into the text this evening. I want to begin in verses 1 through 4, and I'm going to give us four pieces of counsel tonight that we're going to need to embrace in order to stand firm. And here's the first one. We must be maintaining a singular focus. Say that with me, singular focus. One more time, singular focus. You've seen in the Bible, both King David wrote it in the Psalms and Paul said it in one of his epistles, this one thing I do. This one thing will I seek after. A one thing kind of mindset must become yours and mine and ours as a church as we move forward. So what does this look like in the life of Nehemiah? Nehemiah had come out of captivity, returning to Jerusalem in what we call a a post-exilic era. That means they were exiled, but he was coming back to rebuild the walls around Jerusalem after the Babylonian and Assyrian domination. And so he's coming back and his assignment from God is go back, build up the walls around Jerusalem. Let my city bring me glory again as the captivity comes to an end. So it was a work from God, an assignment from God. It was being resourced by God, and that's why the enemy hated it. And so let's pick up here, and we need to know one thing for sure as we begin. You and I must expect an assault from the enemy. Now, friends, I'm not an alarmist. I'm not a guy that sees a demon behind every shrub. But I know one thing, that the devil only has one mission, and that is to fight against everything and anything that brings God glory. And the greatest thing on earth today that brings God glory is not the Grand Canyon. It's not even the starry sky. It's the church of the living God. And so that's what the enemy wants to fight. And so you better expect it because you're part of the bride of Christ. And so in verse number one, it says this. Let's look at it in Nehemiah's life and learn from it. Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies. Now just stop right there. That's a lot of people coming against this handful of ragtag Jewish exiles that had come back. And they're coming back against Nehemiah and this mission that he's got to rebuild the wall. When did they start really ramping it up? Notice there in verse number one, when they heard that I built the wall and there was no breach in it. 
In other words, he had committed to the work. The people had risen up and said, let's rise up and build. They had a mind to do the work. Momentum was coming. God was breathing favor on it. And when the enemy said, these people are really serious about restoring Jerusalem, and the enemy said, we've had enough of that. And so they elevated their attack against the people of God. Now, I want to give you something here. The safest way that a lot of people think they can live is just to keep their head down and lay low and wait for Jesus to come back. That's why a lot of people are living their Christian life. I'm going to go to church on Sunday. I might give a little bit of money. I'll serve when it's convenient, but I'm going to keep my head down and let's just have these little cloistered prayer meetings and just pray for the Son of God to come back and rescue us out of here. Look, I want him to come back too, but you can't keep your head down because you've been enlisted in a war. We are to take surrendered ground, ground that we've surrendered. We're to reclaim that surrendered ground. And when we do that, friends, we gain momentum. We start fulfilling the plan of God. And of course, that's when the enemy comes. In. So the enemy doesn't mess with a lukewarm Christian. You, you know why that's true? Because the lukewarm Christ, Christian is actually serving the enemy's purpose. So he, he'll never fight the lukewarm Christian. He just wants to keep them lukewarm. But the on fire, sold out zealot for the Son of God is going to get fought tooth and nail by the enemy. And we see that right here. Nehemiah is saying, I expect this assault from the enemy. And look what they did. They wanted to reason with Nehemiah. They said, come, let us meet together at whatever that big word is, Hakafirim. Good night. Sounds like they got something caught in their throat. Hakafirim in the plain of Ono. But Nehemiah is wise, and he's in the will of God, and he said, I wasn't about to do that because they planned to do me harm. We just need to learn very quickly on this is that the enemy's real, the enemy's active, he's still a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour, and you are on the menu. He wants to take a bite out of your life, and that's why it is, compels us. Another reason, it just compels us, draw near unto God so that he draws near unto you because that's the safest place we can be. So go down into verse number three. As we're talking about maintaining the singular focus, this is my favorite part of chapter number six. We need to employ a tenacious refusal. When the enemy comes against our life, when it is a vicious attack or maybe it's a subtle death by paper cut kind of approach that he's doing where he wants to distract you and discourage you and he wants to get you off track and wants to get you chasing lesser loyalties, this is what we need to do. Employ a tenacious refusal. Look what Nehemiah says. He sent messengers to Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem, and this is what he said. I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop? for me to come down and talk to you. I absolutely love that. He is not one of the modern day kind of guys that feels like he has to be overly diplomatic and politically correct and a wonderful individual who shows all sorts of manners and nice. He literally looks at these people and he says, what God has given me to do is much more important. I am much more focused on God's call and assignment for me during this season than I am on your demand for me to come down and dialogue with you as my critics. Now, let me just ask you something. Let's take it down to a little bit of a lesser intensity. What is distracting you? What does the enemy bring into your life to distract you from God's singular purpose in your life? Sometimes it's human beings. Sometimes it's people that, have you ever heard the saying, God loves you and people have a great plan for your life? That'll catch up with you later. But the, the point being is this, there's a lot of people who want to come in and they want to intersect you at the point where God is seeking to lead you. And they want you to come down from the great work that he's giving you. And sometimes those people will think that you, do, you owe them what we might call a fair hearing. I want to tell you, you don't have to listen to everybody equally. In our culture today, we have gone so amok 
with political correctness, political correctness, and we live in such a hypersensitive, easily offended generation that now we're afraid to upset anybody by a firm no or, 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 or an issue, a situation where you don't let them manipulate you where they think they deserve something from you, you have the ability to say, you know what? My life is about doing a great work for God and I don't have time for your nonsense. And that's literally what Nehemiah said to them. And I'm going to be bold with you tonight. If you and I and us as a congregation are ever going to step in and remain in God's best for us, we can't care what other people say. You cannot bow down to the people that have an agenda for your life. You're going to have to put up with their criticisms. And one of the things that the enemy does, especially in this passage, is he comes hard against the leader with people's insinuations, accusations, and condemnations. And that's what the enemy will do with you. I'll speak to some of you. I just feel kind of a touch right now, just a sense that some of you need to know that you're liberated from, from your adults, but you're still trying to please mom and dad. That you're still trying to earn the favor of a father you couldn't please when you were eight, when you were 15, and when you were 30, you still couldn't please them, and yet you're still trying to. I want to tell you, your life is about doing a great work from God. Stop coming down from that to give a dialogue to people that will tear you down. Now, we want to honor our mother and father, and we want to bless them in the name of Jesus. But there comes a time where we must decide, am I going to listen to her or am I going to listen to God? Am I going to obey him? And I'm talking to adult children, not, not kids that are still under the roof. I'll just throw this in there. If you live under their roof, it's their rules, and you will obey if you want to please the Lord. All you parents can thank me later for that. But the point being here is when we get to a certain place and we're emancipated from that, and we're letting people speak to us in ways that knocks us down from the wall that we're building for the glory of God, my friends, that is not uh, a good thing. And so he says to them, I can't come down. What God's called me to do is too important for me to put it on pause, to come down there and debate with you. If we delight in the Lord, we'll cease from debating with man. And that's not the call on any of our lives. And you won't be able to do both with all of your heart. Some of us are tenacious, pugnacious, and we're like little bulldogs, and we love a good debate and everything. But I'm going to tell you, the older I get, the less patience and the less time I have for the critics who love to sit on the sidelines, tell you what you're doing wrong, but they never suit up, they never put on their pads, and they never take a hit but they're going to tell you how, they ought to, how you ought to play the game. Listen, let them stay in the stands, you stay on the field, and you run with that thing for the glory of God. Verse number four. Verse number four tells us to prepare for continuing opposition. Very, very quickly here. It's one thing to say one time, hey, I'm doing a great work and I can't come down. Why should I come down to talk to you? Well, look at verse number four. It says, they sent unto me four times this way. They kept doing it. By the way, these guys had clout. Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem, they had been kind of running the show for a while. They were intimidating, and they didn't come alone. They came with an entourage. And Nehemiah is just a guy from, you know, up north. He's come down. He's been there just a very short time. He's leading a ragtag bunch of people in a work that on paper is almost impossible to do. They're making progress. And Nehemiah stood his ground one time, but the enemy doesn't give up. That's not the way he operates. He, he doesn't give up. He will depart from you for a season, but that season will come and go, and he will come back. And a lot of the times, you and I both know, the enemy comes back and hits the same bruise over and over again. How many of you know that the enemy, if you want to call it Satan, demons, whatever you want to call, how many of you know that he knows where your weak spot is? And he's going to test you there over and over and over again. And we'd like to say, why don't you play fair, devil? Because that's just not the way he plays. 
He comes down mercilessly and he'll kick you when you're down and hit you again when you're down. And so for Nehemiah, he had to say four times, I'm not coming down off the wall. What's beautiful about this is he didn't even personally do it. Verse number three says he sent messengers to do it. He didn't even come down himself. He didn't want to even engage for a moment. So he sent the messengers, but the enemy didn't give up. Now, why do I call this maintaining a singular focus? Because friends, there's always going to be somebody for you to debate with, always going to be something to distract you, always going to be something that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it's just not as good as what your assignment is. And you will not complete your assignment if you feel that you must uh, iron out every wrinkle, that you must answer every objection, that you must explain yourself and be understood properly by every single critic. There's going to come a time where you're crit- when, you're, when you're following the Lord, and you're, you're completing God's assignment for you, your critics will multiply. They're going to grow in number. People misunderstanding you, it's not going to get less, it's going to get more. And so if you're of the mindset is, is, well, I just need people to like me, I just need people to understand me, I just want people to know my heart, I just want people to, to, to go with me in this direction or help me or at least get out of my way. No, friends, sometimes the, all they want to do is get right in your way and they literally want to impede your progress. And in seasons like that, you've got to make up your mind. Am I going to let this person call me down from God's assignment in my life? Is this church going to allow naysaying to call us out of God's assignment for us in this season? Are we going to do it? Are we going to say, I'm doing a good work. You can come back again tomorrow and say the same thing, but I'm not going to come down and deal with you. That sometimes is the most spiritual thing you can do. We live in, again this diplomatic, politically correct um, culture, and uh, we've lost our fight. Uh, Let me just tell you this. The reason why there are people in both political parties, some of those that are in the Democratic Party, they love Bernie Sanders because he doesn't lie about what he is. He says, I'm a socialist. I am a socialist. This is what I want to do. I think socialism is the way to go. He's telling the truth whether we agree with him or not. Donald Trump's the same thing. Donald Trump's just, he's just saying stuff all the time. And you know what's happening? We're finding out in our nation that that's resonating with people because they're sick of the false diplomacy and the veiled promises and the double speak. And sometimes I think that this may be a need in the church right now for us to put down the overly religious vernacular, quit hiding behind theological curtains, and quit trying to baby a group of people that all they're going to do is criticize anyway. We need to be people on a mission. We need to say, look, if you don't want to go with us, you don't want to go with us, but we're still going to go. That we have been called to do something for God. Instead of just wiping noses, changing diapers, and patting heads, we need to just say, bless God, there's a whole church full of nursery folks down the street. You just go down there. But as for us, we're going to fulfill the plan of God for our lives. So you've got to have a singular focus. I want to encourage some of you. Ask God to give you a loving but tenacious spirit. They're not opposite. They don't have to be opposed to each other. You can be loving and still look at somebody firmly and say, I don't have time to mess with your nonsense. You and I have got to get a little bit of fortification in our spiritual spines, amen? We're suffering from spiritual osteoporosis and we're bending to things that we shouldn't be bending to. So go down further with me. The clock is not my friend tonight. Recognize the tactics of the enemy. Let me, t- let me just expose the enemy. Every time I do this, I get hammered the next week. So in the name of Jesus, Lord, protect me next week because I'm about to expose how the enemy's working in some of your lives. Watch this. Recognizing the tactics of the enemy. Verse number five. First thing he likes to do is intimidation. 
in the same way, Sanballat, look at those next words, for the fifth time. Sanballat, for the fifth time, sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. Now, this takes it up a notch. It was Sanballat, Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem. And they're just coming to Nehemiah, three guys representing kind of an agenda. But they were kind of keeping it between them and Nehemiah. Nehemiah has resisted him. He said no. And on the fifth time, Sanballat comes back, and he's got an open letter. And what that means is this. He's going to read it publicly. He is going to try to intimidate Nehemiah. Nehemiah, he's just up there working on the wall and organizing and administrating and planning out what needs to be done and helping people knock it out of the park. And then Sanballat says, enough is enough. So he gets and he draws a crowd, shows up with the entourage, and he's got an official, formal, open letter. That's what we call intimidation. People with power, people with position, people with letters behind their names, people that got there before you did, people that assume that they have tenure in a way, and they have in some way hijacked some component, and now your freedom... And now your willingness to follow God is threatening what they have set up for themselves. You following me? And so you have become a threat to them because in your pursuit of God, what you're doing is exposing some weakness that they don't want exposed. And so what do they do? They can't stand on one leg and they can't be able to make that stand for themselves. And so they, they, they resort to intimidation. In this, in this way, it's an, it's an open letter. But listen, look what's in the letter. Aren't you curious? Let's look at it. Inside the letter of intimidation are words of accusation. Look in verse number six. Now watch this. It was, in it was written, it is reported among the nations, and Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you're building the wall. And according to these reports... You wish to become their king. Verse 7, you've set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem. There's a king in Judah, and now the king will hear of these reports. And then the last appeal from Sanballat, now, do you want to talk to me now? So now let us come and take counsel together. Notice the wording of the accusation. It is reported, and then he says again, according to these reports, And then in verse number seven, the king is going to hear these reports. And then back up in verse number six, and Geshem is also saying this. You know what this is? This is formalized, sanctioned gossip and slander. It is reported. It is reported. It is reported. Geshem's saying it. Yep, we heard it over here. We've got it written down. And you know what? We're going to tell the king on you. That is accusation. Friends, I'm going to tell you, and this is, I'm just, I'm pastoring, I'm meddling, I'm preaching, but I'm just being transparent with you tonight. Those of us that have been in churches a while, more than a minute or two, we recognize it's not the drunks and the fornicators that cause the most problems in the church. It is those that spread the evil report. The greatest damage I have ever seen done in church is not by the guy who's, you know, hitting on a crack pipe in the uh, parking lot or dude that's going to the strip bar on Friday night. Those things are not good, obviously, but those things don't wreck the church. What wrecks the church is, we've heard a report, pastor, and so-and-so is also saying it. And, you know, or they say it about you, and it's like, well, we're going to take the report to the preacher or to the elders or to the small group leader. It's that kind of insinuation and spirit of accusation. And friends, this is nothing new. We're talking about 2,500 years ago in Nehemiah's day, the enemy who, by the way, do you know what devil means? Do you know what that, that root word means? It's the accuser. He's a slanderer. He's an accuser. That is the spirit. 
And I'll go ahead and just say this because I'm feeling extra bold tonight. Anytime gossip or slander or murmuring is engaged in by somebody on a regular basis, they are operating in the spirit of the enemy. They are literally cooperating with the plan of the enemy. Even if your facts are straight, but you're doing it in the spirit of slander or gossip or accusation, we are actually cooperating with the enemy in those moments. And anytime God begins to do a work in your life, and you've embraced God's call and God's assignment for this season of your life, I promise you something, somebody's going to be talking about you. Somebody's going to be saying, you say, Jeff, you are depressing us and making us paranoid tonight. That's okay. Holy Spirit will lead you into grace on this thing. But I'm telling you, this stuff is true. Because the enemy can't, can't potently withstand the work of God, so he's got to undermine it by weakening it. And he loves to work from the inside. And so these people came, they opened up the open letter, and they all full of it was, yeah, he was full of it, amen. It was full of accusation. So what's Nehemiah going to do? Nehemiah still doesn't come down off the wall. Nehemiah still doesn't stop the call of God on his life. Nehemiah doesn't say, okay, okay, five times and I'm out. You got me, Sam Ballot. Sure, let's sit down at the boardroom table and let's talk things over. Nehemiah was wise to know you can't reason with a carnal person. You have to let them be wrong. Look at what happens in verse number eight. Nehemiah gives some Nehemiah revelation. He reveals some things. Listen to Nehemiah's response. I love this. Just so emboldening tonight. He says, then I sent to him. Notice he didn't go to him. He sent to him. He still won't come off the project. He's still not going to come down to Sanballat's level. I sent to him saying, no such things as you say have been done for you are inventing them out of your own mind. Nehemiah had a clean conscience. Nehemiah knew that he was on an assignment from God. Nehemiah knew that he had the blessing of God on it. He had the provision of God on it. He knew that the enemy had been working double time against it, but Nehemiah wouldn't leave off of it. And instead of Nehemiah bowing to the pressure around him and saying, well, I mean, this guy keeps asking, maybe I should just go reason with him and let's just open up a dialogue and let's just talk things through. That's what, that's what people are doing today. They, they get pressured enough, they're made to feel guilty enough, maybe it goes public, and they say, okay, we'll just bow into it. Nehemiah didn't. Do you know what he actually told them? He says, you're out of your mind. Go back and read that verse. He says, you are out of your mind, Sanballat. Now, that's not politically correct, is it? That's not diplomatic, is it? That's borderline insulting. He's saying, you're talking out of your head. None of what you are saying is true, and that's my final statement on it. That's really all Nehemiah ended up saying to Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem on this issue. I want to encourage you. This is just where my heart is. For the glory of Jesus and in deep dependence upon the Holy Spirit, to give you a right human spirit when you engage in this kind of battle. You have God's blessing and authority. You have the spiritual right as one who is walking in the will of God to look at those that are trying to interrupt that process, and you have the right to say to them, I'm not giving you the time of day. I'm not going to listen to you. I'm not going to give you a long answer to your, your intricate accusation. You're wrong about me. I know you're wrong about me. God knows you're wrong about me. I'm just going to let you be wrong. Friends, you don't have a long enough life to chase down everybody that misunderstands you. Say, but Jeff, it just, I, I just can't live with the incongruity of having somebody think badly of me when I know I'm right. You're just going to have to get over it. 
I, I, I tell you this, I was talking to the Lord this time last year. I was going through a very difficult time. People, I was in a season where some people were saying some things about me that were just untrue, and it was getting rampant, and I could not do it. It's like feathers in the wind. You're just trying to catch what you just eventually just like, I can never get them all back into the bag. And I was literally, it was about to turn spring, and I was, I think I've told this story here. I was watering flowers in my front yard, and I was feeling a little sorry for myself, if I'm being honest. And, and I was just sitting there feeling like, I had been betrayed, and I was, I was watering the flowers, and I was like, I was talking out loud to the Lord, and I, I said, Jesus, how did you feel when Judas betrayed you that night? I said it out loud. I'm just sitting there watering the flowers, and I got an answer. It wasn't audible, but it might as well have been. This is what I heard from the Lord. It was instant, and I know it was him because I know it wasn't me because this is what he said. I said, Jesus, how did you feel that night when Judas betrayed you? And I heard immediately, I was sad because I knew I'd never get to serve him again. Not the answer I wanted. I wanted the Lord to say, Jeff, I was deeply hurt and grieved and it was wrong and Judas really paid for it. That's what I wanted to hear. And instead, what I heard from the Lord was compassion on Judas because the Lord would never be able to serve him again. And what it did is it indicted my heart. It indicted my heart that I was so self-focused on wanting my name cleared that I had forgotten that it wasn't about me. And friends, one of the greatest displays that we are learning that it's not about us is when we are willing to let people be wrong about us. And you're, not, you're never, you're never going to be able to, 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 to fix everybody's opinion about you. There was another time when I was praying, and this was this year, or actually late last year, and I, I, I just battled with this. I mean, I hate being misunderstood. I'd rather be beat up with somebody's fist than be misunderstood or misrepresented. And I was going through another battle in this internally. And I said, Lord, when are you going to clear my name? And I heard the Lord again speak to me. And he said, I've been waiting 2,000 years. My name's not cleared down there yet. I'm like, I'm going to quit talking to you because you are killing me. <laughs> you know, it's like every time I get bold and I think I deserve something, the Lord just kind of gently shot blocks me and, and puts me back in my place. But the point about it is, is you can either spend all your time making sure everybody likes you and understands you, or you can just refuse to come down off the wall. You can just say, the work that I've been given is too important, and I can't come down. So he gives this revelation. He says, you're inventing this stuff out of your own mind. And then he gives clarification. Look in verse number nine. Nehemiah is a discerning man. He says, the reason why this was going on is because they all wanted to frighten us. And they were thinking, their hands will drop from the work and it won't get done. And look what Nehemiah's response is. In a moment of clarification, a moment of clarity, he says, now God strengthen my hands. You see, the enemy was trying to cause fear to weaken their hands so that the project that was bringing God glory wouldn't get done. So Nehemiah recognized where he was being attacked. He's being attacked in this issue of fear that would demoralize him and discourage him and weaken his hands. So when he realized that, he still didn't deal with the enemy face to face. He prayed. He got in the presence of God and says, God, the very place where they're striking the hardest, I'm asking you to strengthen the most. And brothers and sisters, there's a great precious um, byproduct of knowing what your weakness is. You ought to double pray over your weaknesses. Your strengths need to be prayed over too, but when you know you're getting pounded in the same area, pray about them. Pray about them when you're getting pounded there and pray about them when you don't sense the pounding, but pray and ask God, God, strengthen me in this area where the enemy or my human opposition continues to come back against me. Now we'll get down into verses 10 through 13. I've got a 
mosey through this here. Here comes the next layer of attack. Now, remember, it's coming from different directions, but it's all the same thing. God's going after the leader. If you're in leadership in this room or you're listening to this later and you're in leadership, I I just want to speak to you as a leader to leaders. We need to understand that if the the, the man or the woman at the top of the, the mission can get toppled, that's really all the enemy has to do sometimes. That's why he goes after leaders with such a vengeance, because if he can knock off a leader, then everybody that's following that leader suddenly becomes confused, they become disillusioned, they become discouraged, and it's easier for them to get them to quit. So he's going after the leader. Samballot and Tobiah and Geshem, they failed up to this point, but now look what happens. This one is more subtle. This is the temptation to lean on human wisdom, and we've got to learn that we've got to refuse to lean on our own wisdom. In verse number 10, we see what I call fleshly wisdom. Now, when I went into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, son of Mehetabel, who was confined to his home. Now watch this. This is somebody that's in the city. This is not Samballot's people or Tobiah's people as far as Nehemiah can see. This is one of his own people. And he says, let's meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let's close the doors of the temple, Nehemiah. They're coming to kill you. They're coming to kill you by night. Now, again, what was the tactic that Nehemiah had just gotten clarification on? The tactic was fear. The enemy's trying to cause Nehemiah to fear. So Sanballat and Tobiah, they fade backwards, but all of a sudden, the enemy's got another guy, one of Nehemiah's own kinsmen. And this guy actually sounds like he's got some decent advice. Nehemiah, you're too important to the work. Nehemiah, we can't afford to lose you. Nehemiah, they're really coming after you. I tell you what we do. Let's go somewhere where they'll never get in. Let's go inside of the temple where they can't get to you. Let's hide out in there, and let's just stay there as long as we have to, whether it be morning or night. They're going to come and kill you by night. So Nehemiah's got a guy that sounds like he's looking out for Nehemiah. He's got Nehemiah's best interest at heart. He's talking about, in in one sense, maybe it even feels like we're running to the Lord because he's saying, let's go into the temple. But there's something about Nehemiah that it's going to register with him. This is not of the Lord. Now, let's let Nehemiah explain how he comes to that conclusion. Look down in verses 11 and 12, and we'll move from the fleshly wisdom of Shemaiah, and let's look at the spiritual wisdom of Nehemiah. Look at his answer. But I said, should such a man as I run away? And what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in, verse 12. And I understood and saw that God had not sent Shemaiah, but he had pronounced the prophecy against me, watch this, because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. Let me tell you what happens when you are walking in the plan of God, when you're being singularly minded about God's mission for your life where you're refusing to come down to deal with lesser things that, quite frankly, aren't worthy of your time. When you're not answering a carnal fool, as the Proverbs warn us over and over again, don't answer a fool because it's not going to have a good outcome. When you are just focused on the Lord and his calling on you, I'm going to tell you something. You get crystallized discernment about life. You start to see things in high death. You begin to discern things in a way that a person who's just kind of meandering through life doesn't pick up on. And so Nehemiah has this, I I don't know that I would have seen it coming. I mean, that sounds like some good advice. He's appealing to Nehemiah to preserve his own life, but he's still calling Nehemiah, come down off the wall for a little bit, but you're protecting yourself. And then Nehemiah says this, how can a guy like me run from an enemy like that? That's what he asks. 
How can I, the leader of the people of Israel, set the example of fear in the face of the enemy when we're coming down here telling everybody that the glory of God's about to return on this city, that we the Jews are going to once again become manifest as the apple of Jehovah's eye? How in the world could a guy in my position run away from guys in their position? You see what he sees there? He's saying, you're wanting to ruin me. You're wanting me to utilize the temple for my own selfish purposes. You're wanting me to come down on the wall, or come down off the wall, come away from the work that God's given me, just like Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem did. You know what I'm seeing, Shemaiah? I'm seeing that you're actually working for them. That's a discernment that only comes when we are walking daily in the will of God. There is a byproduct to living a holy life. And I like to throw a little holiness speech in there every now and then. Listen, he's called, uh, you hit this Sunday, he's called the Holy Spirit. Two Sundays ago, you preached us the Holy Spirit. And when you're walking in consecrated, joyful, loving obedience to God, the Holy Spirit's going to give you holy discernment. And you will see enemies when they're lurking in the shadows. You'll see them before they get to you. You'll read them. And you try to fight those battles on your own, you can make a mess of things. You'll take carnal advice from time to time. But when you're following the Lord in utmost diligence and pursuit of him, you're going to be able to see your enemies before they are even engaged fully in what they're doing. So look at the prevailing wisdom of verse 13. Nehemiah says, for this purpose he was hired. What were they trying to do? A, that I should be afraid, B, that I should act in this way in sin, and C, so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. Now, that is amazing discernment. Nehemiah, in a flash, was able to say, okay, you're working for the bad guys, Shemaiah. You're coming to me as a prophet of God. You're tempting me to run and set an example of fear and cowardice in front of the people at a pivotal time. I need to be the leader. I need to remain bold. I need to refuse to come down off the wall. But you want me to, A, let fear enter into my heart. I'm gonna, I just want to say this. The enemy loves to get us operating in fear. How many of you believe that you never make good decisions spiritually when you're operating from the standpoint of fear. The worst decisions I have ever made as a Christian have been when I have allowed myself to be dominated by a spirit of fear for a season. Makes you paranoid in relationships, makes you misinterpret what's going on around you, and it does ultimately do what Nehemiah was saying here. It, it, It causes you to act in a way that you sin. Nehemiah said, you're trying to make me afraid, and you want me to act upon that fear, which will lead to sin. And Nehemiah said, if you can get me to be afraid, and if you can get me to act in that fear, and that leads to transgression, then ultimately I'm going to ruin my name in front of the people I'm called to lead. And he said, and then the back end of it, I will be a reproach. I will be taunted. Brothers and sisters, that's the outcome of fear. I I am praying for our assembly. I'm praying for some of you by name that God will put a warrior spirit in you, not a bloodthirsty spirit, but a spirit that is so confident in God and his mission for your life that you quit being tentative. We cannot be the generation of the tentative. It is getting to the place in our generation that we must become bolder than we have ever become. 
Because the enemy is ratcheting up his attacks on the church of the living God. Our culture is coming against us in a way that is elevated. We are being relegated culturally to, okay, you Christians can continue to exist, but sit down over there and shut up. That's our culture. And, and you know what we're doing? We're saying, oh, okay, because we're going to turn the other cheek and, and we want to be sweet and we want to be loving and you, you got it. We, you won't have any problems out of us. Are you kidding me? Is that really what we're supposed to do? Is that being salt? Is that being light? Is that being a city set on the top of a hill? Is that really what Jesus wants us to do? Absolutely not. And listen, the enemy will come. I'm not, let, let's take it from the big view and just bring it down to your life. What is he doing to instill fear in you? What kind of taunts and accusations and intimidation are going on in your life right now to cause you to view yourself smaller than God views you? We must become people who know, who, that continue to know who we are in Jesus and live that out. And so when we're tempted to run and hide and cower and just, oh God, please Jesus come back and get us out of this horrible place. He's going to one day, okay? Exhale. He'll come back one day. But until then, this is what he said, occupy until I come occupy until I come. And that doesn't mean just find a place and stand there and stand still. It means, listen, do what I've called you to do. Go out and fulfill the great commission. Spread the gospel. Make disciples. Pray over the sick. Let them be raised up. Listen, advance the gospel in places where it's never been heard. Get about my business. I'll come back when I'm ready to come back. So often we're just kind of assuming it'll be in the next year or so, and let's just keep our head down. Are you all with me tonight? So he didn't allow this inward fear or the outward sin or the, his own testimony to get marred in the eyes of the people. Now, let me just finish. I got five minutes. Here we go. Last thing, maintaining a singular focus, recognizing the tactics of the enemy, refusing to lean on human wisdom, and then the fourth thing, abiding in hopeful dependence. Look at Nehemiah. Look at his strategic prayer. I love this. I hope you'll start praying like this. He's praying to God and he says, remember Tobiah and Sanballat, oh my God, according to these things that they did. And then he throws in a lady we don't know anything about and the prophetess Noadiah. And Lord, while you're at it, the rest of those prophets who also wanted to make me afraid, check it out, man. Nehemiah just told on everybody. He got in the presence of of the father and said, Abba, I don't want you to take care of this guy. He's a punk. I want you to take care of this guy. He's a jerk. I want you to take care of this lady. She rides on a broomstick. She's horrible. I want you to just take care of them. And Lord, while you're at it, they hang out with a bunch of other people. And Lord, I'm just trying to do what you want me to do. And Lord, they're trying to get me to fear. And God, I need you greatly at this time because I'm just flesh and blood. I'm just DNA. Lord, I need you because they're trying to make me afraid, but I'm drawing my confidence from you. So Lord, will you just take care of them so I can keep building the wall? so I can keep doing what you've called me to do. God, I don't have time to come down to them. I've resisted, but they're not going away. So Lord, I'm going to forget them, but I'm asking that you might remember them. It's exactly what he said. Every now and then, I, I, I do not mean this irreverently, but it's just kind of the way I feel it. Every now and then, you just got a sick God on your enemies. I don't mean that irreverently. Every now and then, you've just got to say to an enemy that won't leave you alone, All right, at this point, I've said what I needed to say. I've resisted to the ability that I can resist. And at this point, Lord, I can't keep doing this. You're going to have to take care of business for me. Just quick personal testimony. It took me years 
to learn that. It took me years to learn it. I hated the thought that if I backed out of the fight, that they might come out thinking they won. Like, I'll fight when I think I'm right. I mean, that's just my nature. If I'm not walking with the Spirit, I, my nature is to, you want to go around? I'll go around with you. That's just my nature. I'm not saying it's holy, but if I'm not walking in the Spirit, I don't, I don't usually back down from stuff like that. And so, especially if I think I'm right, so I'm thinking, I've got God on my side. You want to go at it? We'll go at it. And you, I'm talking about verbal stuff, you know, going back and forth. That's a carnal way to approach that stuff. And there, it took me years to recognize, I'm just going to let them think they won. And they're going to tell everybody else that they won. And I, there's nothing I can do about it. And you just have to die to yourself. And by the way, that's not just me. That's you. We have to die to ourselves. Say, well, Jeff, I'd never do what you're talking about. No, but you have your area where you struggle, right? Y'all are looking so pious out there tonight. No, never. I, I don't struggle at all like that. There's an area in your life where if somebody comes in and touches, you will go back crazy on them. You'll go nuts on those people. Because there are certain areas where you will fight tooth and nail for it. Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem, and the others crossed the line where, where Nehemiah just finally said, Lord, I need to pray some strategic prayers here. He named names. I, I, a lot of Christians aren't comfortable with that. Well, I, I don't think it's loving if I'm asking God to take care of this because Jesus told me to pray for my enemies. Well, that's part of praying for your enemies. Lord, crush them so they're not my enemy anymore. I do. I pray that. I don't mean it in a violent way. I pray, God, uh, I've got some people right now that don't love me, and I'm really fighting to, to love them. I really want to love them. And so when I'm driving by where they live or where they go to church, I just pray God's blessing on them. You know what? It frees my soul, but the real test of whether or not I mean it is how I respond when God actually starts blessing them. Lord, bless my enemies. See, I, I prayed that prayer. I'm spiritual. I, pr I prayed that prayer just like Jesus taught. Well, well, you'll know if you're spiritual when God actually starts blessing your enemies. That's when you'll know if you've really got the spirit of Jesus. And so Sanballat is just saying this. He doesn't tell God exactly what to do. He just says, Lord, remember them. Lord, they're your problem. Can you do that with the people in your life that are not necessarily for you? Can you make a repetitive commitment to say, Lord, you've called me to love that person but I'm calling you, Lord, to take care of any way that they might come against your mission for my life. God is jealous of his mission. And if he's given you an assignment, he will protect it. He has called you to love your enemy, but he's never forbidden you from asking him to take care of your enemy. And if they act in a way that is enemy-like or opposing you, you ought to go to the Father and say, Lord, all I'm trying to do is fulfill your plan for me. I don't have the, the capacity to fight them while I'm trying to do this. I'm going to forget them. I'm going to love them, but I'm not going to fight them anymore. And I'm asking you, God, just do what you think is best there. I think some of you will get free tonight. If there, there may be one or two people in your life and they carry enemy status in your heart and you're doing great 99% of your life, but you've got this one face, this one image, this one or two people in your life, and they are still an enemy to you. And that's an area of your heart that God can't bless. And if you'll turn that over to him, there may be untold blessings on the backside of that surrender that'll start flooding your life and it can radically change things. Last thing, and I'm done. The people remain committed. Look at verse 15. I mean, look at it. So the wall was finished. The 25th day of the month Elul in 52 days. 
the work got done. The mission got accomplished. Nehemiah didn't do it by himself. We need leaders, no doubt about it. But I'm going to tell you, the work of God actually is carried on the backs of most of the people that don't have leadership positions. Leaders are fewer in number. They're essential. They will give a greater account. I say this knowing this applies to me. I will give a stricter account at the judgment seat of Christ because of my leadership role. But I, having good leaders is one thing, but if you don't have the people to follow and carry out the bulk of the work, then things don't happen in the kingdom. And so when we're talking about our church moving forward, talking about Meadow slash Cornerstone slash Newbridge, moving into the future and for what God has us, I'm going to tell you something. You, we had an elders meeting last night. I just, I'm sitting there saying, this is a great group of leaders. We've got a servant leadership team that's coming together on March 13th. You're going to see a lot of people up on this stage that have already been given jurisdiction and areas, and we are ready to move forward, but everybody's got to put their hand to the plow everybody's got something to do here. And because that was going on in Nehemiah's day, the Bible just says succinctly, the wall got done. Do you know that was the mission? Nehemiah's sitting up in the palace and he hears that the city of Jerusalem is destroyed. He's in exile. He hears the city of Jerusalem is destroyed. It's been many, many decades and it still hasn't been rebuilt. And God put it on his heart to go down there and rebuild the wall. God provided everything that needed to be done. The enemy came against it, but the people mustered faith. They worked with one hand and they held a sword with another hand. And 52 days after it began, it was done. Job completed, a deep satisfaction. Why did it get done? Because Nehemiah and the people stood firm. Standing firm is the number one characteristic that all of us as followers of Jesus Christ must cultivate. Most every man will proclaim his own goodness, but a faithful man who can find. I want to be a faithful man. Gentlemen, you want to be faithful men. Sisters, you want to be faithful women. And if we will stand firm and expect the enemy to come, but don't bow down to him. Don't come off the wall. Don't give up your assignment. Don't give in to murmuring, complaining, and accusation that comes against you. Keep your singular focus, and I promise you something, in the God-ordained time frame, the work will be done, and we'll be able to celebrate. The very last verse is this. I'm not going to preach it. I'm going to read it. And when all of our enemies heard of it, verse 16, all of the nations around us were afraid. They came to make him afraid, but he refused to be afraid, and so it came back on them, and now they're afraid. Isn't God good? And, he, and they fell greatly in their own esteem. Why? They perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. So in the end, Yahweh gets all of the glory. Nobody said, oh, Nehemiah, what a great Nehemiah. No, they said, the enemy looked around and said, it's their God. It's their God. It's their God. That, brothers and sisters, is the definition of success in the kingdom, where we get the deep pleasure of being included in the process, but God gets all of the glory. Hallelujah.